Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Revival Hour, where we'll have a wonderful time of fellowship, and now as you sing through the first time, turn around and shake hands with as many as possible, all together, lift it up, heavenly, turn right around, shake hands, that's wonderful, I wish you could be with us, friends, the radio audience, happy time of fellowship, everybody. 
it up. Now let me fly. 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 Now
Whoa. 
that the Lord Jesus is a friend of sinners. And one of the outstanding statements in the Bible is this, Christ receiveth sinners. He's willing to receive you today, not willing that you should perish, but that you should come to repentance, and may you come and know this friend of sinners, the Lord Jesus. Honey, are you ready with the letters? Mrs. Fuller. Already. Greetings, friends. Some good letters for you today. One from Oklahoma. Dear Brother Fuller, I received a letter from a friend who is a missionary to southern Rhodesia, Africa. She was telling us how they spent Christmas Eve this year. After the gifts were opened, she said, we turned on the radio at 10 p.m. to listen to the old-fashioned revival hour from California. My, but it was good to hear the chorus choir, the quartet, and Dr. Fuller again. It seemed ages since we'd heard a message in English, and it was a real blessing to us at Christmas. I just thought you'd like to know, Brother Fuller, that you're helping those who have left all to follow him in such faraway places. We were glad to hear that, too. Well, many of you know that Mr. Fuller made a record singing Heavenly Sunshine and Meet Me There, one of his favorite songs. And then he said a few words about heaven and its glories as it lies ahead for believers. Well, that record has had a mission of comfort, and it is interesting to hear from this letter from Kentucky how it appealed to a child and how he turned to it at a time when the whole family was very sad. The letter reads, Dear Reverend Fuller, we have a grandnephew four years old, and he loves your record of heavenly sunshine and meet me there, and can quote every word on that record. The other day a friend of ours died, and we were all very grieved and did not think of Bobby at all. But after a while he said, You know, Nana, I felt very bad, and I just went home and played my heavenly sunshine record about heaven. He sure went to the right place for consolation, his great-aunt says. It's a good letter, isn't it? A young chaplain's assistant in the United States Navy Hospital, Army Hospital in Texas, writes, Dear Brother Fuller, out here on the wastelands of Texas, 2,000 miles from home, the Sundays would be pretty lonesome and long if it were not for the heavenly sunshine which your old-fashioned revival hour brings to us regularly. I feel that my firm spiritual foundation is due to the years of teaching received from your hour. I feel I must stand by you with my prayers and support. From Iowa, dear Reverend Fuller, our beloved son Paul, who lost his life in the war, was converted while listening to your hour. He wrote home from overseas saying that he missed Reverend Fuller's program so bad and never had a chance to hear it after he left home. His going has been a terrible sorrow to us, yet the dear Lord has wonderfully helped and comforted us. We've had several letters through the years from circus folks. Dear Reverend Fuller, I want you to know that some circus people have had Christian upbringing and want to be Christians, though we are on the go and we have to play on Sundays. I can get your good service almost any place when we're on the road and always in Florida winter quarters. It means such a lot to me, as I had wonderful Christian parents. Some folks think that all circus people are tough, but that isn't so. I have a good animal act, and I know some clowns and others who lead good lives. I have a trailer, and I have your program on nearly every week, and generally the place is just full of people to listen. 
and it does us lots of good. Sometimes a tear or two falls when the old songs are sung. The country needs your program, Reverend Fuller, and don't forget to pray sometimes for the folks under the big tent. That's good, isn't it? That is all I shall have time to read you today, friend. Number 129, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying. Everyone sing heartily and singing out in the Spirit. standing for prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we thank thee that thou art not 
only a God of judgment, but that thou art also a God of mercy, and that thou didst so love this sin-sick world, that thou didst send Jesus to die for our sins, that we might be saved. And Father, we also thank thee for the great privilege of prayer which thou hast given to us, that we have access by Christ to the throne of grace, where we may find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so, Father, today we would pray for the many weary hearts in Radio Land. We would pray especially for those who are approaching the sunset of life, who feel lonely, who feel neglected, who, ha- who feel that they have nothing to live for anymore. And we pray that they may find in Christ real comfort and real sufficiency in these days. We pray also for the missionaries of the gospel that are spread abroad to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray that thou wilt make their ministries ever more effective. And we pray that thou wilt also comfort those of their families who are left behind. And bless also our servicemen who are away from home today, who are in stations here in, the, in, the, in this country and who are overseas. Comfort them today and sustain them as they look unto Christ. And today, Father, we pray that many who are under the load of sin, who feel that if they were to die today, they would not be sure of going to heaven, that they may come to have the full assurance of salvation through Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Son of my soul, the Savior dear, it is not mine if Service 
sunshine and the shadow I can sing in the service of the King, in the service of the King, every talent I will bring, I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the Listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. His message today is titled, The Girdle of Truth. I'll provide additional information after Dr. Fuller's message. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13, as we rejoin the broadcast. Take your Bibles and turn to the sixth chapter of Ephesians, verses 13 and 14. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, speaking today upon the girdle of truth. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, reveals that believers are engaged in a terrific spiritual conflict against a vast host of spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Here in Ephesians 6, 
the gracious Lord unfolds to his own the fact that he has spiritual weapons and spiritual clothing with which to be equipped. Therefore, if every believer would put on the whole armor of God, that is, so take God's armor, that he may be able to make a stand in the evil day and hold his ground by overcoming all his foes, or to put on the complete armor of God, that he may be able to stand his ground on the day of battle, having fought to the end to remain victorious on the field. To illustrate, or to the instructions rather found in Ephesians 6, these instructions were directed to a small, numerically speaking, a small group, a tiny drop in the bucket, in the midst of a teeming, prosperous, but a very wicked, godless population in the city of Ephesus. Those born-again believers in Ephesus, once dead in trespasses and sin, had, upon hearing the gospel, believed. Then they were at once cut off from all their old fellowships, their friends of many years standing, becoming overnight strangers, pilgrims, and foreigners in their native land. They found themselves engaged in a great spiritual warfare against a godless system of a powerful alien religion, the fanatical followers and worshipers of the great goddess Diana of the Ephesians. And so Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exhorts them to stand against the wilds of the devil, against the wiles of the vast host of mysterious wickedness, their traps, their devices, their diabolical cleverness, the battle being on. And having done all, he said to them, stand. And so we read, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, our first need, and I want to drive it home to you, our first need when we put on the whole armor of God is to realize this, your need of God. Our first need is to be in right relationship to God, for without God we can do nothing. We will be defeated before the fight begins. And these instructions are not written to you who are alienated and cut off from the life which is in Christ Jesus. You're dead in trespasses and sin without hope and without God and without Christ, alienated and cut off from the life that is in Christ. And your first need, friend, outside of Christ, is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, to become a new creation in Him through faith, by grace, not of works, lest any man should vote. And then becoming a child of God through faith in Christ, redeemed, and one of his own, a member of the household of faith, put on the whole armor of God. You're without any spiritual armor whatever to you who are dead in trespasses and sin. And no wonder you are without hope and there's no peace to the wicked. You're like the troubled sea casting up mire and dirt. There is no peace to you except in Christ. And so verse 10, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And Paul learned that when he was weak, he could do all things through Christ. For if God be for us, who can be against us? And God wants us to stand our ground in the day of battle. And having fought and having to fight to the end, 
to remain victors enduring hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. How beautiful, how wonderful to read of Paul at the close of his earthly race or warfare saying, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. My own personal prayer, 35 and a half years in the service of the Master. For when I come to the end of my earthly race, or if the Lord should come for me, I want to be faithful, friends of the radio audience, in declaring God's entire counsel, His inspired word to you. Let others seek temporal power and glory and the applause of the world and worldly positions and worldly wire-pulling. May we be faithful, persevering unto the end. Not only is there a great need for spiritual strength, but a great need to be clothed upon with God's provided equipment, the whole armor of God. We need every piece of God's armor for offensive as well as for defensive warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Men are apt to think that through organization and merging and consolidation that there's power, temporary perhaps, but not the mighty power of God. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We do not war after the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing in captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The first piece of armor, Ephesians 6:14, And all this is basic. Here it is. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. The girdle of truth. Now the soldiers in Paul's day were somewhat differently clothed than the soldiers of today. The soldiers of yesterday were clothed with different pieces of armor suited for close-in fighting, personal contact, hand-to-hand conflict, that type of warfare. And in the Oriental soldier's equipment, the girdle was a must, a necessity, for the girdle was a strong belt-like affair, holding the different pieces of armor on the body, holding them there securely in place. And without the girdle, the loose-flowing garments became very cumbersome, unruly, flopping about the feet and hindering one's movement, especially against a hostile wind or inactive warfare. The loose pieces of armor would tend to cause the soldier's efforts to become ineffective in combat, causing him to be awkward and slowed down in his movements. And so the girdle or the belt gave a secure sense of firmness compactness, security, readiness, enabling him to meet the enemy's attack. Now, with this figure in mind, the military belt, the girdle of yesterday, let me read. Let your loins be girt about with the spiritual military belt of truth. Let the whole armor be fastened securely With that God-provided belt, God's girdle of truth. And right here at this point, may the Holy Spirit enlighten the eyes of our understanding that we may see wonderful spiritual truths. What are they? This is foundational. This is basic. 
For the girdle, the military belt, is needed in the great spiritual warfare against the host of spiritual wickedness. Let me illustrate. Here's a young man raised up in a godly home. His parents have instilled in him some very basic principle. To be honest, to live a good, clean, moral life, to be truthful from the cradle to the day he leaves home. He has been instilled and instructed with these basic principles that in many cases are lacking in the young people and through the parents today. And as a result, corruption and low level of living is creeping out in the national life of our nation. In college, this young man meets up with a crowd somewhat careless, lacks in their being trained in those fundamentals. He sees about him a flow of moral looseness, some students cheating in their exams, a bit dishonest in their business dealings. Temptations come to run with the godless crowd and to be popular. Pale fellow well met, and the conflict is on. Will he trod the narrow path and fight the good fight of faith? Or will he go down the broad road that leadeth to destruction? And I say the conflict is on. But the young man, trained up from the cradle, decides to stand true, to be firm, not to compromise. He becomes a marked man, jeered at in some cases. But wait, the time of graduation arrives. He has received fine high grades in his study. And be it said to his everlasting credit, he receives a reward as the outstanding young man, not only for scholarship, but for his faithfulness and his uprightness, swinging the life of the college to a higher level. Any old dead fish can go down the stream with the crowd. It takes a real fish with muscle and determination and perseverance to go up the stream and up the rapids against the crowd. All right. He was girt about, this young man, with basic God-honoring principles of everyday honesty and morality and uprightness. And God honored him. And so it is in our spiritual warfare. We need to be girt about with truth. Basic, God-given principles which will enable us to stand and be victorious against the enemy. Let me illustrate. Job, a mighty man of the East, a prince, prosperous, looked up to and respected, offering daily sacrifices by faith, approaching God through the bread-sprinkled way. But Satan came and desired Job's life. God says you have permission to deal with Job just so far, but you can't take his life. And we read in Job how Job, that patriarch of patience, went down on the ash heap, covered with boils from head to foot. And then the three counselors representing the wisdom and the learning and tradition of this world could only go so far in talking back to Job. And finally, Job. In the 13th chapter, 15th verse, Gertapal, with the truth of God's word, spoke out these words. In the darkest hour, down on the ash heap, with everything gone from him, he said, Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And that military belt kept Job steady in the hour of fiery testings 
and fiery tribulation, seeing through a glass darkly, he was able to stand and persevere unto the end. You take Abraham and Sarah. God promised Isaac or the son, the fruit of his loins. And yet time went on. And Abraham, 99 years of age, we read these words. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith, giving God the glory. I tell you, listen, you need to be girt about with a spiritual military belt of some precious promise in the hour of discouragement and in the hour of testing and in the hour when even friends forsake you. You need to stand letting your loins be girt about with the precious promises of God's Word. Truth, not the lie, not men's reasonings, not these passing philosophical teachings of men that are dead in trespasses and sin, but you need the eternal, ever-existing, living Word of God. Take Daniel, a lad of 18 years of age, was led captive into Babylon, and there amidst all of the oriental licentiousness and pleasures of an oriental palace, we read these words. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with wine which he drank. And there, amidst all of the immorality and sin and pleasure, Daniel stands out like one of the great planets giving forth light in a darkened day. He was girt about with a military belt of truth. And I love to read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, especially about this man called Moses. Listen, will you? To what God has to say, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had the chance to be the leader, the head, the prime minister over that great prosperous nation, highly civilized in that day. But by faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of reward. And Moses, down in that situation in Egypt, under Pharaoh, with all of the wealth and learning and civilization, godless in that day, Moses dared to be girt about with God's Word. I must close. I love to read about Paul in the New Testament. How Paul, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law blameless. One of the outstanding scholars of his day, when he was converted, he said, I count all things lost, but lost for the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord. And Paul was girt about with God's Word. And in Revelation 3.10, I want to close with this. Because thou hast kept my enduring word, I also will keep thee from the hour of tribulation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And that word keep means to cherish, to hold dear, to hold on to, and to be girt about with the girdle of truth. How about Luther? Amidst all of the dark days of uh, 
system of religion that said that salvation was by works, Luther said that no man will ever be justified by the works of righteousness, but justified by faith through Christ. Wesley, in England, coming out from the organized denomination and system of church churchianity that was cold and dead and going down, Wesley came out like a flaming fire, heard about preaching repentance and remission of sins through the blood of Christ. What about Hudson Taylor? What about John G. Payton? What about D.L. Moody? What about these men that have gone against the crowd and against the flood? Stood true, heard about with the girdle of truth. They're down in the books of God's remembrance. Someday when Christ comes, they'll hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Oh, friends, listen, don't be commonplace. Don't be the ordinary, mediocre type of believer. Be a soul winner. Be a witness. Be a soldier. And endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and fight the good fight of faith. Stand true. Gird about with God's word. Let the crowd sneer. Let them jeer. Let them deny the resurrection. Let them deny the atoning blood. Preach the word. Win souls. God will reward. Let's bow our heads and pray. Friends outside of Christ, in the radio audience, God is calling you. The field is white unto harvest. The labors are few. Thousands are perishing without the knowledge of Christ. God wants you. But first, he wants you to be reconciled to him. Through Christ, come today, will you? Tomorrow may be too late. And in this splendid visible audience here in Long Beach, how many will quickly put their hands up? Say, Brother Fuller, I want you to pray for me. I need Christ as my personal Savior. Please pray for me. Will you put your hand up and say by putting your hand up that you need Christ as your personal Savior and like to be remembered in a word of prayer? God bless you. God bless you, soldier boy. Anyone else on this, Lord? God bless you, lady. God bless you. Several hands back in the sailor, lad. Anyone else here on the lower floor? I'm pressed for time. Come on. Come now. Let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God wants warriors. God bless you. Men that will stand true and women that will stand true and carry the water of life to a dying world. Up in the balcony to my right. The balcony's up there. Put your hand up and say, pray. God bless you. God bless you. And the balcony's to the rear. If you need Christ today as your personal Savior, put your hand up and say, pray for me. The balcony's to the left. God bless you. God bless you. Several young men putting their hands up today. Oh, I'm thankful. Are there any others just before we bring the old-fashioned revival hour to a close? Put your hand up and say, Brother Fuller, I need Christ as my personal Savior. I want to receive him and have the assurance of heaven. Put your hand up and say, pray for me by putting your hand up. Is there another one to go off just before we close? Do I see one more hand here today in this audience? God bless you. I must close. Continue in prayer as we leave the air. This is Charles A. Ford bidding you goodbye. God's richest blessing upon you.